वेलकम टू साइंस रेडियो गाइस एंड हियर वी टॉक अबाउट रियली कूल साइंसी थिंग्स वी टॉक अबाउट ब्लैक होल्स वी टॉक अबाउट स्टार्स वी टॉक अबाउट क्वांटम फिजिक्स एंड वी टॉक अबाउट लॉट ऑफ अदर कूल थिंग्स a uh, quick intro of myself my name is shridev ramesh i am 24 years old and i'm a guy from kerala i study astronomy and planetary science um uh, from this university called the open university uh, i'm about to write my final paper uh, this february super excited for that i still haven't chosen my topic yet but i'm really looking forward to that i really love astronomy i love physics i love space sciences and i'm all about this and more than anything more than doing research more than reading about it i love talking about it and it's a common joke that goes around in the scientific world that the hard thing is not to make an astronomer talk the hard thing is to make them shut up and you're seeing a live uh, example of that right in front of you and i hope you guys are as geeky and nerdy about astronomy and science as much as me and i'm hoping that we have fun in today's journey cool so today's episode if you guys notice was titled in a really weird way it was it's called bedtime stories for smart people and that's exactly what this is i'm here to tell you guys just three stories so for the next one hour i'm going to be pretending like i'm steve jobs giving the stanford commencement speech and i'm going to tell you three stories so let's do this awesome cool before i go ahead i have to make a confession um these three stories are taken from a very rare video of uh, one of my favorite science communicators neil degrasse tyson if you guys don't know him you guys should totally check him out um sorry so there was that a question some someone say something okay cool Cool. So um the confession is I took these stories these three stories straight out of the bat. I didn't change them. I mean I, I obviously you can't change actual stories but a lot of things is going to sound similar to what he said but the thing is this these three stories interested me so much that I didn't feel like changing anything about the delivery. I didn't feel like changing anything about them and I really felt like sharing these th- three stories as they are with you guys and um The crux of these three stories lie in something known as a scientific method which lies at the heart of all of science. So if you want to do any kind of science you have to follow these steps known as a scientific method. It is the method that takes you from a state of not knowing something to knowing something. So you always in science you start something with a question. You 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 always ask questions. It's about what is that? Why is that happening like that? how does that work why does why do these two things behave in such ways and these are the questions that you can apply to literally anything in the universe and you can always this is this this is the starting point of all of science once you actually ask these questions then the whole scientific process guides you in order to go and answer these questions and to find out what's really true and what's really not true some of the popular things wherein we were wrong Uh, as you guys already know are uh, there was this popular theory known as um, the geocentric theory in which people actually thought that the earth was at the center of the universe and everything went around us 
and we suddenly shifted to the heliocentric theory which states that the sun is at the center and we are the ones who are going around them and the, the geocentric theory was believed for an extremely long period of time until it was proven wrong and uh, although this has more to do with belief than with actual science this is an actual story of how things actually changed because of the scientific process because we produced proof that things really don't go around the earth except for the moon awesome so in simple words when you look at what the scientific process is you find a lot of complicated things on the internet but in simple words this is all it means i ignore the cigarette over here that has nothing to do with it but anyways it says don't fool yourself that's all it is the whole scientific process is aligned to grilling this motto into the scientist's head that listen you have a lot of chances of fooling yourself because that's what your body is designed to do it is a very deceptive instrument but don't fool yourself try to take yourself out of the equation and look at things objectively never ever look at things subjectively science is never about subjective opinions and stuff it's all about hardcore facts it's about things that everyone can agree on even if you don't agree on it that means you are wrong not that the scientific laws are wrong that's the basic point of it and one of my favorite scientists um Dr Richard Feynman actually said this the first principle is that you must not fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool so the first thing in the scientific process is to be aware that you can be easily fooled and this is you can actually just look at a lot of instances from your own life from your own daily life and you can actually see how easily fooled you are about certain things how easily we misunderstand things how many misconceptions we have about certain things we jump to conclusions way too quickly and this is just we, this is not this is one of the couple of uh, shortcomings that the human system has uh, with the many gains that it is designed with so primarily it says don't fool yourself and everything in the scientific process is designed at challenging this is to it's to make sure that we don't end up believing something or we don't end up proving something that is actually not true we actually establish something which is very objective in which the human subject is taken out of the equation that's the whole basis of the scientific method and uh, the scientific principle looking at it in a very deeper way this is basically what it is so you start with something known as observation which is pretty much just looking at things and just observing them then you form a hypothesis you form an opinion about that thing and you be like okay i think this happens then you do an experiment to actually see whether the hypothesis is true or not you collect data from the experiments and there are two possibilities if the evidence refutes the hypothesis which means that if your initial hypothesis was proven wrong by the experiment you change the hypothesis do the experiment again if it happens to be correct then you don't you don't go to conclusion straight away you ha you have to do more rounds of experiments because in science just because one person got it right once doesn't mean that it can it can actually be known as a scientific truth it has to be replicated by a lot of people around the world in the same conditions different people even the people who do not believe in your hypothesis have to uh what do you say do the experiment and get the same result as you and only then can it be actually deemed as an objective truth because you know objective truths are basically unrelated to what we think about them 
objective truths like the law of gravity doesn't give a shit about what i think about the law of gravity if i think the law of gravity is dumb and it doesn't work it doesn't give a shit it just does its own job it works everywhere in the universe and that's how that's that's what objective truths are it is unbiased it is what it is and it is unaffected by what unaffected by human belief and these are the basic objective truths and this is the method that you use in order to arrive to those truths and this is basically a foolproof method to get ourselves humans out of the picture and once everything falls into place you communicate it and then you say that hey we found something new and it's confirmed cool this is a fun example of what it looks like so there's this lady she observes certain things she she observes like a plant a seeds and some um, fertilizers and she asks a question which type of fertilizer works the best she forms a hypothesis and she says that hey maybe a works better than b and c she does experiments and she gets results and then she says hey my hypothesis was correct and she goes on to tell the world that hey guys use fertilizer a that's the best one out of the lot simple as that so this is a very simplistic ultra simplistic explanation of what it is cool i'll just do a quick revision for especially for the people who just joined you guys are not too late we just started out we're going to talk about three different stories from the world of science uh you'll only get this joke if you've seen uh Steve Jobs Stanford commencement speech but if you haven't please go do that right away not right away i mean after the <laughs> talk uh we were talking about the scientific principle or the scientific method and the basic underlying thing about the scientific principle says that we human beings we are easy to fool so the entire scientific method is aligned at not fooling ourselves and looking for the objective truth this is something that my favorite physicist said about the scientific principle it is basically the same thing that i just repeated 10 seconds back and this is what a detailed view of the scientific method looks like you start with observation you have a question you form a hypothesis you do an experiment you collect data and according to what the data and the hypothesis match you take further steps so if they don't match you revise it and you go back to hypothesis if it does match you ask a couple of other people to do the same experiment just to see whether they are getting the same results because if they are getting different results then there is something weird in what you're doing or something may, maybe people are not following the exact same steps or the system is not configured in the exact same way and you have to consider that but if everybody is getting the same result then you know that that's an actual fact that's not just what we think it is it is the way the universe itself works and then once we find out that truth we go out and communicate it so that's the scientific theory until now and this is just a uh, fun comic on a fun simplistic comic on how the scientific uh method works in very simplistic situations awesome so we're going to have three stories regarding three things that happened in space so the first story is about the discovery of the planet neptune um so the guy who discovered the planet uranus Uh, his name was William Herschel and uh, a lot of you might have heard the name Herschel because Herschel is also uh, the name of a telescope uh, it's a space telescope besides that uh, neptune was actually discovered way back i think about 100 200 years back uh, and the best thing the really exciting thing about the discovery of neptune was all other planets we discovered it by looking at telescopes and uh, you know finding out that okay that's saturn hey that's jupiter and so on 
but neptune was the first planet to be actually discovered via the power of mathematics we actually did some math we calculated a couple of equations and from those equations we deduced that there should be a planet over there and when we pointed our telescopes at that particular area we discovered neptune that's literally how we discovered neptune and that's a huge triumph of the scientific method that's a huge triumph of the way we are doing science and that gave a huge affirmation that we are heading in the right direction so back then um new uh, so for the folks who have attended the previous lectures you guys know that there are two different theories of gravity that are going around one is newton's theory which sees gravity as a force and the second one is einstein's theory which sees gravity as a curvature of space time so back then newton's einstein's general relativity theory of gravity did not really exist because um, einstein wasn't even born then so newton's law defined everything people used to think that newton's law is like the ultimate thing and they they had good reason to think about it because newton's law really worked in every everywhere people actually um, used it on it it's told us how planets move around the sun it told us how uh, the moon is moving around the earth it told us a lot of different things about how big objects move so newton's theory really did answer the questions on why planets were moving in such orbits and why they were at such distances and why they were moving in such speeds it it was a huge success in determining all of that but when we had a closer look at uranus when we actually measured the orbit of uranus what happened was we saw that uranus was not really following newton's law uranus was not following the orbit that was dictated by the newton that was dictated by newton's law it appeared as if it was doing some weird kind of motion and there was something tugging uranus from behind and we couldn't quite see that object yet so this made us question ourselves this made us question ourselves ki what is really happening is is newton's law really not working or is it something else that is happening and to this question there were two possible answers the possible answers were number 1 either newton's law is wrong at such distances because we have to consider the fact that maybe newton's law only work you know until certain distances in the solar system and for huge distances maybe some other law applies we don't know we've never really you know done such testing of newton's law at such huge distances and we are talking about like 100 200 years ago we didn't have you know this kind of technology to actually do any kind of things like that earlier so we had to consider that maybe after a certain point maybe after uh, what do you say saturn's orbit newton's law simply don't work or the second thing there is something else beyond uranus which is actually tugging um this uh, planet uranus and it is this tugging which is causing uranus to not follow newton's law and follow some kind of other uh you know weird motion so we considered these two choices and we actually did the math we did the math uh, for the second choice and we found out this basically we we basically found out that um if uranus had to be moving in this particular way how much gravity um how much gravity should um that other object be exerting on uranus so we actually reverse engineered the math for that and through that we reverse engineered the hypothetical mass of that object we basically said ki okay something should have so much mass so that it can you know 
tug uranus in such and such way that we are observing right now we had to reverse engineer that it was a really hard problem for scientists to solve especially because computers and stuff like that did not exist but then we basically said ki okay this is the kind of mass that it should have and eventually we kind of uh, uh determined its position as well we said that okay we should be seeing mhm yeah yeah we're about to reach the climax right so basically there was this guy called alex bo uh, alex bovard uh, who who calc who said that hey there should be a nearby planet beyond uranus and uh, this is the kind of mass that it has and uh, this is the kind of positional trajectory that it is expected to take now two other scientists john couch adams and urban lee levelier um, one from england and the other from france they basically did their predictions they said that okay i think the other planet is going to come at this position and this guy said that the other planet is going to come at some other position This was Adam's position this was Lavelier's position when they pointed their telescopes they actually saw Neptune which was actually pretty accurate Neptune was right there and we actually discovered a new planet in our solar system just by doing mathematical calculations and this was a huge 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 triumph of the scientific method and this really meant that the direction that we were heading in terms of a scientific method was the right method and this is how we basically found neptune until then we just had uranus and then we found neptune and this really meant a lot for the scientific community so we said yay newton is awesome newton's laws are awesome we should really congratulate that guy because it is his laws that actually led us to determine this um new uh planet that we are seeing out in the solar system yes Yes. So story 1 basically told us that we can actually deduce the truth or we can deduce new laws or new things about science through existing sto- existing things about science and that really meant a lot. That really meant that we could push the boundaries and we could actually do something new with the existing things itself. So story 2 is a similar thing. It is called planet Vulcan and let's have a look into what it actually is. So basically in the ninth somewhere in the 19th century late 19th century we found we looked at mercury and uh, this is basically mercury the thing that you see on your screen right now and we saw that mercury was not really following its orbit as well just like we saw in uranus uranus had something tugging around it it was not following newton's law and the same thing happened with mercury as well we kind of figured out that new mercury is also not following newton's law and um, it, there should be something near mercury's orbit which is actually tugging it as well and you know we were pretty confident because hey we had already solved that problem earlier we found a new planet and we were like man we're so dead sure that there's all there's a planet somewhere uh, you know near mercury we're like so sure about it that we we let's even give it a name and we you know decided to give it the name vulcan and uh, this is pretty much uh, one of the places where um, star trek was also inspired from this is like a character called spock who is from the planet vulcan 
and we the thing is scientists actually went far went really far and we actually gave it a name vulcan and we were all excited about it and everybody wanted to be the first person to detect vulcan and obviously they asked the question ki okay why haven't we seen vulcan so far i mean we've been looking at the space we we've, we've been looking at uh, into space for such a long time we and we even saw mercury why haven't we been able to see vulcan so um and scientists basically just told it off saying ki uh, you know vulcan is just too close to the sun so we just can't see it because of the glare of the sun and maybe when we have enough powerful telescopes and we're able to you know cancel out that kind of glare we might be able to find vulcan and people were very sure about it that they didn't really give it too much importance it was almost like ki yeah it's already there why, why why you don't really have to you know put so much effort i know we know that some days some you know in in a couple of decades we're eventually going to find it and that was the general kind of um, notion that was there then in 19 uh, i think 1916 in the 20th century einstein forms his theory of general relativity and this is the badass einstein just check him out he forms his theory of general relativity and which which is basically it is not a refute of newton's theory of relativity it is it adds on to newton's theory of relativity so you can think of newtonian gravity like this which is uh, represented kind of like this uh, in terms of the sun and general relativity basically just adds on to it so it just adds this extra term this uh, 3 gm h square by c square r, r to the fourth so it is not saying that newtonian gravity is wrong it is just saying that newtonian gravity is right but it's just that newtonian gravity can only be applied to a certain subset it cannot be applied everywhere so a is newtonian gravity and b is einsteinian gravity which is general relativity and for those of you who are not familiar with what einsteinian gravity is it basically states that gravity is not a force and whenever there's a heavy object in space it curves and bends space time itself so it's almost like you're stretching a sheet uh, like a bed sheet and there's four people at the end and someone just drops a ball in the middle when someone drops a ball in the middle there's a curvature that's formed and that's the same thing that happens when the sun is in space it basically distorts the space time itself around it so it is not that the sun is exerting a force on the earth and pulling it closer towards itself it is because the space around sun is so curved that the only way the earth can move is by orbiting it and in in you know in certain ways so that is that is what einstein said and when we actually used this to solve the mercury problem what we found out was that since mercury is really 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 close to the sun than any other planet the the general relativity part like the space time curvature part is felt much more since it is already closer space itself is much more distorted near the sun than it is further than the sun so we simply cannot use newton's equation to find out the the um what do you say um orbital paths of mercury we simply cannot use that same equation because it doesn't work at those distances from the sun it is so close it is in such proximity to the sun that newton's law of gravity cannot explain mercury's orbit for that we need einstein's um equations of gravity and only those can explain mercury's orbit because of the distance mercury has in front of the sun and when we actually did that when we actually put mercury's orbit into einstein's equation it all worked out and we actually 
found out that you know there's no planet vulcan it's basically just we were using the wrong laws and newton's law basically failed to work at such distances and we had to use different kinds of laws so in this situation it's newton boo and einstein op awesome cool i hope you guys like these two stories now we're coming to the grand finale the third and the final story so the first story basically taught us that we can deduce truth from knowledge that already exists but the second story taught us that our theories sometimes are inadequate and sometimes we have to uh what do you say look for new theories and we shouldn't be afraid to replace our things and um we shouldn't have a tendency ki nature should conform to the way we want to see things we always have to be ready to conform to how nature actually is so the second story is a testament on don't be fooled because we almost ended up fooling ourselves we were so confident that there was planet vulcan in and in fact there was actually nothing it's just that space works in a different way at such distances so that's a very uh, the second story was uh, a much more humbling uh incident that happened to um scientists than the first story was the first story take us took us all the way up there to the mountain and the second story just you know pulled us back down saying ki hey that's where you belong now let's see what the third story has for us the third story as exciting as it sounds is the search for something known as planet x and here's how it starts we saw a similar situation it's it's like basically stuff happening again and again if you guys have seen the series dark things you know just happen again and again the same loop happens again it's almost like that things just started happening again and again we saw that neptune was not obeying uh newton's laws and uh we were like okay neptune is not obeying so okay so we've been through the uranus problem and we found neptune we've been through the mercury problem and we discovered that we have no need for um, vulcan so what can be happening to neptune can actually so uh, we had two possibilities one possibility is that maybe general relativity has the answer over there but that possibility was basically negated out because general relativity has an effect only if you're really close to the sun when you're really far away you general relativity does not have that kind of an effect on you of course you're in orbit but you can get away with newton's law you only need einstein's laws to determine your planetary motion when you're near the sun when you're far away from the sun newton does the job as well you don't really need einstein's laws over there so we were like okay it's not following newton's law we know that newton's law is correct because with that we found neptune so it's pretty obvious there must be another planet outside and thus began the search for planet x and the word went out everybody wanted to be the first person to actually find planet x and there was one guy in particular his name is percival lowell he was extremely rich and he was so rich that he decided to build a whole observatory for himself so that he can hire scientists and he can discover planet x and he can put a name to it and he can take the credit for it so this guy went on in all in and he was like super excited for it and he wanted to be the first observatory he wanted his observatory to be the first on um finding this body so we did the same thing we did the calculations we saw how neptune's orbit was actually you know getting tugged and uh, we did the math we calculated the mass of how much we, we calculated how much how massive that other planet should be we calculated its position and we started looking for it we panned our telescopes onto it 
but nothing really showed up we didn't really see anything then um one of um what do you say a lowell scientist his name was tom bow tom bow basically um took a scan of this entire sky region in which this planet was supposed to be found and eventually he found it he found planet x right there and as suggested by a little girl a little girl came and suggested um lowell that she wants this planet to be called pluto he basically sent a telegram to uh uh what do you say oh sorry here someone else i think someone else called um uh someone else called flag stuff ariz um sent a telegram to lowell observatory saying that hey please consider pluto as the name for the new planet and that is basically how pluto itself was discovered but here's the thing what really happened was we know how massive that planet has to be because we've done the math we found pluto we found the position we actually found the planet all good but the thing is during the process we had found ki if neptune had to be moving in this particular way then the planet that is influencing that motion should be this massive and we had deduced mathematically that the planet had to be actually as massive as the earth it should be as if there is an earth beyond the beyond neptune's orbit and it is that earth like body which is causing this kind of a motion but the thing is when as the decades passed by we we eventually just believed it that pluto was the one who was actually affecting neptune and as the decades went by our instruments got more sensitive our measurements got more accurate and we found more and more accurate data and we realized that when we actually calculated pluto's size at one point pluto was extremely small it was even smaller than our moon it was not at all earth sized and then we kind of asked the question we were like okay that doesn't make any sense because what is going on with neptune then what what is really happening and pluto was not even a planet we discovered that pluto is a dwarf planet because it is so extremely small and we eventually had to demote it you guys know the entire story over there so in 1993 there was a guy his name is miles standish and he kind of asked the question this question was always there and uh, he's like okay so we did find pluto but the mass does not seem to you know correlate it doesn't make any sense it's nice that we found pluto but what exactly is causing neptune to move this particular way if it is not pluto and he kind of asked where the fuck are we getting the data let me go check it so there were about two or three observatories where the data for this whole thing uh, was recorded like from that data we had deduced ki um, that planet had to be you know so massive so massive that it has to be like one earth mass and he went through the data of all the three observatories and one particular data seemed very fishy he did not it did not seem to make sense and eventually he basically realized that uh one of the data had some kind of instrumentation fault like the tracking system was not on point the gearbox was not on point it had some kind of an instrumentational fault and then what it did was okay what if i removed this data this faulty data and used only the rest of the data and then recalculate neptune's orbit he went on the table he did the math he calculated neptune's orbit and that's it bam 
Neptune was actually following Newton's laws. And apparently here what happened was the instruments faltered and we were fooled into believing that there is something else. And Pluto just came out of luck and nothing really was actually happening over there. It was basically we fooling ourselves. So it's almost like how this weighing machine is showing negative 202 for this apple. The instrumentation basically just failed. So what this story basically tells us is instruments, boo. Newton again comes to the spotlight. Yay. So taking a complete stock of all the stories that we've spoken about right now, the first story was about the success of a theory. It was about how successful was Newton's law of gravity and how it helped us determine an entirely new planet, which is in the solar system. The second one was the failure of Newton's law at certain distances. And that pushed us um, to accept a new law, which is general relativity, which actually explained the behavior of bodies near massive objects. The third one was an instrumentation failure. This is basically a thing where we actually failed. And that's the thing about science. Just because one or two people measure something, it doesn't mean that that can be accepted as, you know, a credible scientific theory. It has to be done, replicated the same way by someone else, by someone who probably does not even believe in your hypothesis. And he has to get the same result. He or she has to get the exact same result. And only when those results are exactly the same, can you say that what you have with you is an objective theory and not a subjective opinion of what it is. And this is basically three stories of how the scientific method has helped us find new things, has humbled us and has told us get better instruments and get um, better at measuring stuff. So that was the end of three stories. So what we learned from all these stories, number one, we learned the success of a theory. We learned how useful the scientific method can be. We learned in the second one that, you know, just because a theory is successful in one place doesn't mean that it has to be successful in another place. So you should always doubt your existing theories and never have a hundred percent on anything. Number three is make sure that instrument failures don't occur and make sure you're getting the right data. So make sure that your experiments are repeatable and it's repeated by many people at many places and not just one data set is taken, multiple data sets are taken. So these are three stories from science that actually talk about the scientific method and that actually talk about discovering new planets. And I really love the fact how all of this is woven together and how it comes across as a really wholesome story. And I hope you guys liked it as well. Besides that, it's always a pleasure talking to you all. Thank you so much for joining guys. Cheers. Bye-bye.